God, uh, God provides that very well. Um, and that's where we see in Exodus 34 and verse 5, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I want us to note that even in verse 8, Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. At that point, God is showing him something about who he is. And it's not something where he describes his glory in a physical way, of course. It's a way that he describes his glory in his character, in who he is. And among those things, we find long-suffering. Now, I want to turn, and this is not even really in the PowerPoint, but I want us to turn back to Galatians 5. We've been looking at the fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit the past couple of weeks. I think it might be useful for us to kind of pull back a little bit from the reading in Galatians 5 that we've been looking at and consider a couple of things here. So much of what Paul is saying in this context is behavioral. Um, and I want to pull back actually to Galatians 5, verse 13, because he's talking about the brethren that have pulled them into this other way, this, these Judaizing teachers that have added to the law of Christ. And he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, devi- if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And that's where he says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul does not say, does not talk about the, the walking in the Spirit, fulfilling these things, the fruit of the Spirit, independently of the context. And we need to remember that. The context is that these brethren were getting pulled apart, divided by people who were teaching doctrines that were adding to what had been given. And so we go on and we read in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So I just want us to understand, first of all, this is God's nature that we're talking about here. This is God's nature. This is what he expects his servants to be like. Not just in deed, but in mind, in, in what they're doing, in what they're providing for each other. 
in Psalm 86 and verse 15, the statement's made there, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. So there are three basic things that I'd like for us to talk about today if we have the time. First of all, I want to talk about long-suffering in the context of the nature of God and what that means. Because if we need to understand what long-suffering is, we need to understand who God is. Because uh, so much of this is tied up with who he is. Secondly, we want to look at a specific example. We're going to look at the example of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as an example of someone who was long-suffering, who endured so much and yet went through it all and ended up being faithful and remained faithful to God. And then we want to talk briefly about our response. What should our response be after we see all of these things? Well, first of all, I want to suggest to you that what we see with long-suffering, and I think to properly understand all of this, we have to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is a mindset. I think, and I've made this mistake, where we talk about the fruit or fruits of the Spirit, and we want to talk about them as plural. I'm not sure that's the right way to think about it. The reason I say that is that Vines has an interesting uh, uh, statement on fruit, and I've got it on the PowerPoint if it ever happens. That's, that's totally cool. Um, but talking about that fruit, it, it says it's the singular form suggesting the unity of the character of the Lord as reproduced in them, talking about the Christians. And he talks about, you know, he quotes from Galatians 5 there. And they're all in contrast, Vine says, with the confused and often mutually antagonistic works of the flesh. Have you ever noticed that about this passage? Verse 19 says, the works, plural, of the flesh. Whereas, verse 22 says, the fruit, singular, of the spirit. Now, I'm not, am I saying that all of this, you know, it's useless for us to have all these different lessons? Not at all. <laughs> because we're looking at the same thing in different angles. We're looking at the same thing in different viewpoints. If you have one of these fruits of the Spirit, one of the, this fruit, you have all of them. That's basically what I'm trying to say to you, is that the fruit of the Spirit is how you think if you are truly allied to God. In the same way, when you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes represent the work of a kingdom citizen. And what that kingdom citizen does, how they're going to interact with the world, what they're going to see in the world, the way they're going to see life, the way they're going to see things in the world. In much the same way, the fruit of the Spirit represents the mind, the thinking, the mindset, the, the, the worldview of the kingdom citizen. And so if we have this fruit, we're going to be able to pull through difficult situations. Not just pull through, however. I would venture to say that if we properly apply and understand the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to be able to be overcomers through these things. Not just suffer through, but to pull through and be victorious conquerors over the works of the flesh. And we do that through God. We do that through His Spirit. The greatest example that we find of long-suffering is indeed the Lord. And we find, of course, that... Uh, when we talk about these things, it's important for us to note that our God intends for us to emulate Him. And so, again, we're talking about the long-suffering in terms of the nature of God. We want to talk about Mary and ultimately our response. 
So again, it's a mindset, and uh, we can overcome in these situations. And so again, we, we need to be thinking of this in a singular form. Now, secondly, the greatest example of long-suffering that we find is in God. Now, obvious, that's obvious, right? Everybody kind of agrees with that. Let's think about this for a minute. Look at how much God has put up with. I mean, he's so long-suffering, he's not willing that any should perish, Second Peter 3.9. He doesn't want anybody to die. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. Yet we know that's going to happen. We know that's going to occur. But you think about all through the ages, he has worked with and waited on his people, and he works with us even today. 1 Peter 3.20 talks about long-suffering in the days past. And in 2 Peter 3.15, we we understand that this long-suffering is part of his nature. I want to mention as well, this is something that kind of came to my mind during Matt's class this morning. In Matthew 19, you know, Jesus is saying, from the beginning it was not so. Think about how God was patient and long-suffering with his people in allowing all of these erroneous uh, uh, relationships, all these things where men had multiple wives, men were divorcing their wives for no reason. God suffered long through that. And those same men that entered into those things, if they were still faithful to God, guess what? They died not in a righteous place, but they were cleansed, I believe, when Jesus died on the cross. I want to mention that as well in just a moment. Um, while, while I'm saying these things, go ahead and turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, because we want to see something that, that I think is very, very clear. Uh, another thing, Acts 17, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now calls upon every man to repent. And so God has endured so much. And among these things, I think God has, uh, obviously we see that God has endured accusations of the adversary. And not only God, but his people endured these accusations. Look at Revelation 12 and verse 10. Uh, this is basically an idea. In Revelation 12, we've got the story of Jesus. We've got the story of him dying on the cross. We've got the story of that victory there. Now, you know, we could talk a lot about what Revelation means and things like that, but I think just overall, Revelation 12, there's really, you can't mistake that. But in Revelation 12 and verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. See, all those things happened when Jesus died on the cross. Okay, So salvation came, strength came, the kingdom of God, the fullest extent that we can have here on the earth. The accuser of our brethren. What does Satan have to accuse God's people of? Well, he has everything to accuse God's people of in the sense that they, faithful Jews, had died in sin. Died with sin, staining their souls. And yet because of their faith, because of their allegiance to God, because they had truly repented, they were considered to be faithful by God. But here's Satan. He's saying, look, you know, these people, you haven't provided for their salvation. But guess what? On the cross, it was all taken care of. And you've got these dead, faithful Jews who have been cleansed. And I think this is, again, a similar thing being talked about in chapter 6 and verse 10 when you have uh, the, the sixth seal. They cried with a loud voice, the, the, those souls that have been slain for the word of God, for the testimony. How long? Will you, until you judge and avenge our blood. And it says in verse 11, a white robe was given to each of them. And so God 
withstood the accusations of the adversary. And I think we also need to remember that during the ministry of Christ, think about his long suffering with the apostles. We don't have time to go into all this, but you think about how often you just look at these passages in Luke, Luke 9, 40 through 56. You see how, how, how often his disciples just did not get it and how much Jesus suffered with them long. And, and didn't immediately say, well, listen, you guys aren't even worthy of following me. You guys just better just go back to where you were because I'm, I'm done with you. Okay? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus gave them time. On top of this, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus knew Judas's heart, and yet even though Judas was a greedy thief, he gave him the money, money box? He was in charge of the money for the whole group. Love suffers long and is kind. So God is long-suffering. We need to ask ourselves, can we be long-suffering like God? Some people might say, well, maybe we can't. (laughs) Because God knows people's hearts. And maybe because he knows people's hearts, then we can't be as long-suffering as he is. I want to suggest that what we see in the definition of long-suffering helps us with this. Uh, It's defined as a state of emotional quietness in the face of unfavorable circumstances. It's also defined in here as constraint exercised toward others and also as God's constraint of his wrath. What stops God from striking down everybody who offends him at the instant they offend him? Now, certainly we see examples of that, don't we? Uzzah at the moment that he struck the ark or that he touched the ark. But overall, I think we can see. Now, again, if we look at the concept of Uzzah too, God had waited a long while, even before Uzzah touched the ark. So he had already shown a lot of, uh, of long-suffering up to that point. God wants us to understand this about him. Moses, speaking back to God in Numbers 14, he quotes what God has already told him. He is a God of long-suffering. Again, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And I don't have to tell you people. I think think we understand. God is love. That's what John tells us. And so when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we might as well say, God is all of these things, right? And so he's our example. And so we, we need to be careful that we don't think, well, I can't be long-suffering like God is. And the reason I say this is this. Think about all of this. Is God long-suffering towards sin? Or is he long-suffering toward us? Why does he put up with us? Why is he so patient with us? It's not because he can tolerate sin and just, well, you know, it's okay for you to sin right now. And it's, you know, it's not... It's not that it's okay. It's that he loves us. Let me ask you, if we have a problem with being long-suffering, if if you're sitting here this morning, if we're sitting here together, we say, I I, I do have a problem with that. And maybe Andrew will talk about that a little bit more the next hour. Um, You need to ask yourself, like, what am I being long-suffering about? Because I'm afraid there are people in this world who will be long-suffering toward sin, but not long-suffering toward people. 
they'll wait and say, "Well, I know, I know he's not living right. I know he's not going to, you know, person, uh, father, and mother says about their child. I know they're not going to church. I know they're not living right. I know they're, you know, and they think they're being long suffering." Well, maybe they're not truly being long-suffering toward the person, but they're being long-suffering toward the sin. You see the distinction? It's a subtle thing, maybe. We need to be long-suffering toward people. We need to distinguish the sin from the sinner and be willing to work with others. And to refuse this idea of long-suffering, it needs to be on the basis of love for the person. And so what that means is my long suffering is going to be dependent upon what is best for that person at this time. And I need to go back and look at God's word to understand what that means and what that is. So for me to be properly long suffering, it needs to have that idea of love, agape love, wrapped up into it to say that, listen, I'm going to love this person, but loving them doesn't mean that you ignore the problems. Loving them means you work through them. And someone who uh, we may think of as impatient or someone who we may think of is not as long-suffering as they need to be, well, maybe they're being long-suffering toward the person in the sense that I'm going to work with someone as long as I can. But, of course, there comes a point when that uh, can't be forever because God is our example. Now, I do think that Mary, when we look at Mary as an example of long-suffering, we see a, a lot of interesting things. And I know we're, we're kind of coming close on time here. But you think about what happened to her. Angel visits her, tells her she's highly favored, and then immediately says, you're going to do this. Gives her a work that I think to many would be daunting and intimidating. You're going to be the mother to the Savior of the world. Think about the implications of that. Think about what that really meant. She's given this hard work to accomplish. But I think what we need to recognize is that Mary had the fruit of the Spirit. Because a person who has the fruit of the Spirit is ready and willing to be spent in service. In verse 38, she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, let it be to me as you have said. She is ready and willing. And the term handmaid of the Lord, by the way, could be defined as a female slave. Slave of the Lord, a servant of the Lord, ready and willing. She's highly favored. And let's understand that this example is powerful because to be used up for God's glory, there's no greater purpose in this life. The idea of being able to be spent in the service of God. It's a challenging thought, isn't it? Paul had that thought. Philippians 2.17 Yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me to be spent in God's service. Mark 10 Verse 43, Jesus says, and I'll just sort of paraphrase here, there are people in this world who think themselves as great, who vault themselves up. That's not going to be how you are. Because he says, whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This required long-suffering. 
And so her attitude from the start was one of hard work, and she also had an optimistic viewpoint toward God's fulfillment. Uh, again, we don't really have time here, but when, when we look at Luke 1, 46-56, this is Mary's psalm of, of hope and promise. She is thankful for what has occurred to her. You can even uh, make a comparison to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah went through so much to have a child, and then when she finally had a child, she gave that child up in the service of God. Same thing for Mary. And I think we have to understand that sometimes we work for God with negativity. Sometimes we want to grumble through our service to him instead of long-suffering. We need to not just endure, brothers and sisters, we need to overcome. And again, I think God shows us that great example, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 15, that he is not willing that any should die or perish, but that all come to repentance. And what does that mean? Well, I think one of the practical things we see with Mary is that she possessed a quiet endurance. You think about what happened. She's engaged to Joseph, betrothed to be married. Then this situation comes up. Can you imagine how awkward that must have felt? You know, think about this. The angel appeared to Mary, but the angel didn't appear to Joseph. The angel didn't appear to Joseph until after she had already been found with child. You think about that would be a tough situation, wouldn't it? Because Joseph is, is thinking, well, you know, obviously something has occurred. But the truth was very, very different. And thankfully, Joseph had that kind of long-suffering. Now, even through the birth and everything of Jesus, even afterward, you see Herod's threats come up, and they had to go to Egypt. They had to escape because God was guiding them. God was helping them. God, God helped them escape to that. We see that in Matthew 2, 13 through 15. But this is something that hadn't really, hadn't really occurred to me until recently. You know, Mary must have had friends and family who lost their children. What did Herod want? He wanted all the male children to be killed. Mary wasn't able to be home to comfort her friends and family who had lost children. She was off in Egypt. That's just something that hadn't really occurred to me before until recently. And, and, and you know, really, uh, it, it was something that ultimately we see that she endured much in this. She endured having to raise a child who I think we can all agree was fundamentally different. This was a different child. And we even see in when Jesus goes to Nazareth uh, some differences there. But you think about Luke 2, a young boy, when they're in Jerusalem, stays behind at the temple to teach to ask questions. In Matthew 12, verse 46, Jesus is told that his family are outside, his mothers and his brothers are outside, and they want to see him, they want to talk to him. But his response is, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Can you imagine that from the standpoint of a mother? Those of you who are mothers, can you imagine your child saying that? (laughs) Wouldn't that sound odd and, 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 and weird? And yet she endured through that. We also see uh, a challenge from the brothers' viewpoint. John 7, we see that Jesus' brothers didn't even believe who he was. And you look at the statements there. uh, If you ever read through there, they make statements like, if your disciples believe this, you should go and do this. 
they're not including themselves in what Jesus is doing. Which, by the way, if we perceive distance from others, that can bring about further distance created by us. You see? Jesus' brothers must have understood some sort of distance there that Jesus had, had said, well, you know, I'm busy teaching. I don't have time to come out and talk to you and your mother. Our mother, you know. But that distance that they perceived caused them to manufacture distance. Does that make sense? To, to, to distance themselves from, from Jesus, which was wrong, of course. But that must have taken a toll on, on Mary. Because every mother wants their family to feel somewhat united and together. And when her children are not on good terms and not speaking to each other and things like that, that's, that hurts a parent. And I think especially mothers carry a lot of that weight. Mary must have endured so much in that. Let's understand this. A long-suffering person doesn't have all the answers. But they stand in what they know. You see, when, we, when we're not long-suffering like we should be, we get to the point where we just feel like, well, I just don't know what's going on, and I don't know what's, what's up or down. And what tends to happen is we tend to react in a very unreasonable way. We can stand in what they know. And I think that's what Mary ultimately did. She didn't understand all that was, was what was going on, but she knew that promise. And I think we also have to recognize that Mary endured watching her son die. You remember what Simeon told her? Simeon said, you're going to endure pain. In fact, I don't want to mess up the quotation, so I'm going to look at Luke 2 briefly. Uh, my memory's failing me on that particular wording. Luke 2 and verse 34 Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against yes a sword will pierce through your own soul also the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed I think that stuck with Mary and I think that must have come to her mind when in John 19.25 there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene there she is right in front of her son her firstborn son to her nailed to a cross dying in agony the rulers of her country are laughing at him. Imagine your son. See the nails in his hands. Imagine the greatest rulers, the men that you might have thought and hoped that they would do the right thing, laughing at your son. Mary sees inconsistency. She sees hypocrisy, yet she trusts in her God. She didn't look at this and quit. She was there the whole time. Mary learned through long-suffering that God is in control. God is in control. Brothers and sisters, we get upset over things that will never happen very often. Very often we want to take on things in life that are not within our boundaries. Very often 
We want to carry the load that belongs to someone else. Don't get caught up with the things of men. Don't get caught up with things that do not pertain to your walk in Christ. Don't get so uh, wrapped up about these things. Carry the load that belongs to you. And I would encourage you, look at Psalm 37. Wait on the Lord. He has all of this under control. And we can trust in Him. The wonderful thing about Mary as well is that she never departed from God's place for her. And at the same time, He provided for her. She was part of blessing the entire world. Later on, she sees the church, the eternal plan, the gospel spread. Notice, she ends up in the background. In Acts 1, 14, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Her faith influenced others, but she was in the background. She wasn't in the spotlight. Yet she was allowed to see the plan of God unfold And, of course, she was given provisions for the future. Jesus allowed John, gave John the charge of taking care of her. So there's a lot of things we could talk about with Mary on that point. But I just want to briefly encourage us in terms of our response this morning. Long-suffering is a choice, and we put it on. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is a mindset. And so when we're talking about A mindset, it means this is something we decide to have. And it doesn't mean necessarily that it's just going to click on one day. But the more we understand who God is, the more we understand what he wants of us, then then we'll be more able to put on these things. Um, Colossians 3 and verse 8. Now you yourselves are to put off all these... Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me pause before I read verse 12. Let's understand, I cannot be long-suffering. I cannot have the fruit of the Spirit until I have truly put off all those things that Paul is talking about. Put it off. Put it away. Throw it away. It's trash to you. Because in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We could go on in reading, but I hope we we understand. It's about putting off these things. This is going to eliminate our times between each other where we have this short fuse that just snaps and we just unload on somebody. This will eliminate the accusations that can come quickly. This will eliminate gossip. And let's understand this as well. Long-suffering is not ignoring someone or harboring hatred in silence. That's not long-suffering. Long-suffering is working with somebody. Working with somebody, not avoiding them, not ignoring them. And so long-suffering is a choice. Long-suffering is essential as well for the growth of Christians in the church. True unity is a possible thing. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 2. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, our atmosphere here at this congregation even can be one of optimistic growth and encouragement. Or it can be an atmosphere of distrust, suspicion, and revenge. 
we need to choose what kind of atmosphere we're going to have. And we need to know. We need to know that one of those atmospheres is not something that we ought to be a part of. Finally, long-suffering must abound in those who teach. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Rebuke and convict with all long-suffering and doctrine. Long-suffering. Will I let God's word do its work? Or do I have to hound somebody? <laughs> do, I, do I have to nitpick every single little thing that somebody's doing? Or can I let God's word do his work? There are many, of course, who refuse to give the seed time to work. God knows that timetable. Let's understand that as well. Well, I hope this has been useful in some small way. Um, this morning, if you're not a child of God, we encourage you to make that choice this morning and choose to be His. And if you are a child of God and you realize there's something that's missing in your life and you want to ask for the prayers of this congregation or if there's some sort of public sin that you need to confess, we're here for you. We want to help you. And any of those needs, please make them known while we stand and sing.